Hey, y'all. Welcome to this episode of Well-Lit Path. Uh, we're in Psalm 4 this week, and it was a tough one because it, it follows a very similar narrative as Psalm 3. And then it, like, dawned on me, hey, this is the Bible. It all has a single narrative. Well, duh. So before we start on our little jaunt, how's your week been? Uh, these last few weekends have been filled with, like, camp preparation. We use uh, various devices available to us to fundraise here at Lake Worth. And the last two weekends have had us wrapped up in efforts supporting just that, uh, camp fundraising. And you know, as a kid growing up on the mission field, we never really went to any kind of youth camp. I think the closest we ever came was like a big missionary conference where the kids kind of had these daily activities with, I, I guess, a youth director of sorts while the adults did adult stuff. Uh, it was fun to get together, though, with kids that were not only our age, but they were also living the same kind of uh, missionary kid life that we lived. Uh, I would challenge you to remember that the next time a missionary is in your church, to just be sure and pay just as much attention to the wife and kids of the missionary as you do to the missionary himself. Uh, we forget sometimes, I think, that they all go through things in that ministry together. So let's make sure that we're reaching out to them together. But back to camp stuff. Uh, while we do go to youth camp, it's a, it's a lot more like a family camp. Uh, many families go with kids, and the parents, I think, get just as much out of just pulling away for the, the week and being immersed in godly culture and good godly fellowship and just teaching for the week. Uh, we always come back refreshed, and I got to say for myself, uh, I'm always looking forward to next year, even on the trip home. Does your church do camp? It can be an important tool in spiritual growth, and it, I mean, a fantastic catalyst for exponential growth. Um, I think you'll find that for some, it's even a catalyst that points them to salvation. So I'd encourage you, if your church does camp and you've never been, go, just go. Uh, it'll be a blessing, promise, camp food, hard bunks and all. So this psalm is superscript with on Neganoth, which is just to say it's meant to be played on stringed instruments. Uh, the chief musician was the orchestra and choir director. And in that interest, why don't we take up a modern-day instrument and we can strum the guitar of our hearts while we take a walk today? Or, you know what, maybe you prefer a banjo. In Psalm 4, verse 1, the Bible says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me. When I was in distress, have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? Selah. But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe. And sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. 
Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart, more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Okay, now I know that sounds a lot like Psalm 3, but it's so richly different and the same as every other psalm at the same time. In the beginning of the psalm, David seems to kind of be trying to get God's attention. I mean, David knew that God could hear him, so why would he begin this way? Well, I suspect that David, like us, liked to start a conversation with his heavenly father with, hey, Dad, you're so good to me and have blessed me so much. You want to just sit down for a minute and chat? And, and really, is that much different than how you might start a conversation with your earthly father? But don't get me wrong, I don't want us to be like cozy with God because he is awesome and he deserves our awe and our wonder. But let's get personal with him. He's not a God that's set apart from us emotionally and just kind of this stoic, emotionless God. He's not trying to keep us at arm's length. He's a God set apart from us in righteousness. And it's in that righteousness he desires to meet with us right where we are, wherever we are. He wants us to approach him with some, I guess you'd call it holy familiarity. He loves us more than any earthly father ever could. He wants to be the first person we turn to in every situation. I mean, he just wants to give us a hug and sit down with us and listen to what we have to say. So why shouldn't we start? Hey, Lord. Got a minute? He always does. Now, David calls him the God of my righteousness. Now, this is David just acknowledging Jehovah Tzitkanu, God, our righteousness. David's identifying that he's unable to be righteous or good without God. And because of that, he relies solely upon God for his righteousness. He understands that the only thing that allows him to approach God is that God imputed his righteousness to him. You know, we can't stand before a holy God and just God in our own power. Because in our own power, we wouldn't be allowed in the presence of God. Yet David knew that God loves us so tenderly that because he has bestowed his own righteousness upon us, and for David, it was through the promise of a coming Savior. For us, it was through the reality of a Savior who has already come. And he, bestowed his right, his, he bestows his righteousness on us through his Son. And it's because of that that we can approach the throne of God boldly. Now, the writer of Hebrews understood this very well when he penned, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, now, boldly doesn't mean that we should approach irreverently. It means that we should go there without fear. 
not relying on his own righteousness and acknowledging that God alone has made him righteous, this is what emboldens David to petition God, hear me when I call. It's in his address that he claims the God-given right to approach his maker in the first place. And he reminds God, Father, you've helped me before when I was in distress, when I was kind of in a bad way and I was hemmed in with nowhere to turn. And you heard me then, and I know you're going to hear me now. You know, it's so easy for us to forget sometimes in a new trouble what God has brought us through before. You know, our current trouble seems to overshadow every other we've ever experienced because it's just that, it's current. And it looms over us and it seems to dwarf all that's behind us. And we're like, God, I don't know if I can do this. I've I've never had to deal with this before and I just don't know if you can help. I mean, this is huge. This is different. This is a big deal. And instead of believing that this new trouble is greater than the one before, how easy it is to forget that our God is greater than any trouble we can face. He's greater than any in the past. He's greater than any today. And he's greater than any coming at us tomorrow. You know, instead, what we should do is claim his promise that he's always with us, just like David. He said, Lord, I know you hear me. You know, 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. We should say, Lord, I know you're with me. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. We should say, Lord, I know you're my helper. Hebrews 13.6b says, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. See, David grabbed a hold of these truths and reminded God that he had delivered him in the past. Won't he deliver again? Because his mercies are faithful to even the lowliest of sinners, to you and me. Lord, hear our cry now. Hear our petition. How merciful is our God? How tender his mercies that would withhold from this sinner an eternity without him. He's the only one that has the power to show that mercy and the only one with the capacity to love to continually exercise that mercy with us. Only a God so great to incline his ear to our every prayer would be the same God to show us his tender mercies. 
And I don't know if David meant to go in this direction originally when he first started writing, but it seems like as soon as he penned verse 1, he realized that God had already blessed him in his distress. His first verse entreaty to God seemed to open up all of the times for him that God had delivered him before, and as he recalls the goodness of Jehovah, he just can't help but burst out into praise. How long will my oppressors throw my past sins in my face? It's in those past sins that I find forgiveness that I can't fathom. And in the forgiveness, God is glorified because it is only in him that I find forgiveness. Yes, I'm a sinner. And my Lord loves and forgives me still. He still works in and through me. My sins don't define who I am and my past doesn't define who I am. My past says my God is good. And because he's good, my sins no longer hold any power over me. And David says, not only do they seek to throw failures in my face, but the things that I glory in now because of my heavenly father, that's, those are the things they want to mock too. When I glory in his forgiveness and seek to give him praise and worship, they try to shame me for pouring my life into his work. He's given me life. Why wouldn't I pour it into his work? Why wouldn't I chase the things that are important to the God that has stood beside me and overcome for me in the past? I used to chase after emptiness, but I don't anymore. And David looks around and he says, why do you still chase it? Oh, you're condemning me, but you're out there so desperate for answers that really any answer would do. And that's why it doesn't matter if it's a lie, because if it's a pretty lie, then pretty is good. And putting lipstick on a pig just makes it a pig with lipstick on. And isn't this the world that we live in? Oh, those Christians, they just believe anything their pastor tells them. Well, how could you believe the Bible? Oh, like you never make mistakes? Well, why do you always have to make everything about God? Man, why are you so caught up in this church thing? Here, let me flip that for you. Why do you believe anything the mass media feeds you? or whatever new wave science is teaching? Why is the theory of evolution still a theory? Who's more trustworthy? And why do you believe in everything that you read on social media or see on TikTok? Is a document thousands of years in the making that's been proven over and over again not more reliable than the forms of media that are less than a century old? Who vetted the content? I mean, you're basically relying on Wikipedia. Uh, oh, wait. You'll believe that too. No, you're wrong. I do make mistakes, but I don't live in my mistakes. I move past them because I've been forgiven for them. Why do you always seem to make excuses with, well, this happened to me, or I'm this way because of my parents? Step up and take responsibility for your actions, world. 
you know, I try to make everything about God because my God gave himself for me. He gave everything for me. Why would I not make my life about him? You know, has anyone ever sacrificed themselves for you? Oh, wait. I know someone who has. You know, let me introduce you to him, and you may find that you want to make everything about him too. And person asking me why am I why am I so caught up in this church thing? I'm so caught up in this church thing because my family, my church family, helps me through the tough times. They're the people that God has put in my life to share my burdens. I'm caught up in this church thing because that's the refuge I run to when foolish people like you ask me why I believe in something when you refuse to believe in anything. Oh, but wait. Believing in nothing is still a belief, isn't it? And doesn't that sound like vanity? Doesn't that sound empty? You know, the world's problem is they see the answers that we have as Christian and they burn with jealousy. But they don't want our answer. The answer. And you know, I believe in what I believe in because the Lord has set those apart that believe in him. The world out there, they, they want to chase being special. Listen, in Christ, I am special. I'm peculiar. And not peculiar in a strange way, yet, yes, I am peculiar in a strange way. I mean, strange by worldly comparison. How can I be so grounded in truth? My God has set me apart on that truth. But don't get me wrong, I'm not above anyone, no. I'm just separated, insulated, in this world, but not a part of it. He has set me apart with his protection. He has set me apart to be different. And in order to be different, I have to call on him regularly. Because, see, I can't be set apart on my own. And yeah, sometimes I start to look a little like the world, where I don't look that different. And it's in those times that I call to him, and he hears me, and draws me back to that separate place where we can fellowship more freely with, with nothing between us. And the cool thing is, is that no matter how far I get from him, he hears me when I call. No matter how far I walk off the path he's set before me, whether it be a foot or a mile, it's always just one step back to him. He hears me. And it's because of this access that he grants me through his son that I should stand in awe. It's in the desire to be close to him that I should strive to keep myself in his power from the sins that just so easily get me. And I know which sins those are. They're the ones that come to mind when I lay my head down. 
And this is exactly the time that I have to say to myself, yes, I failed. And yes, I've sinned. And yes, I'm broken and weak. Have you been there? This is the time, as our associate pastor Dan Kaufman so aptly put it a few weeks ago, on a Wednesday night, he was preaching through the same passage, and he said that we should preach to our hearts as David did and say, he loves me. He has promised me. And then preach those promises to yourself. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Ephesians 1, 7, he promises, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And just a few verses further in Ephesians, he says, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Woo! Listen, get fired up on your pillow. You may not be able to sleep speaking his promises to your own heart. You may have to get up and shout and raise some holy hands. You may have to wake your spouse up and just start talking about how awesome God is. Listen, preach. Now wait, there's a Salah here. So stop, go back to that last part and listen, preach to yourself. Because in Romans 4, 7, and 8, it says, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Psalm 103, 11 through 12 says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgression from us. Sorry, y'all. Okay, we may have Salad enough. I mean, probably not, but we're going to keep going anyway. David says, offer sacrifices of righteousness. Huh. Are we righteous? I mean, the Bible says in Romans that there are none righteous. So wherein is our righteousness? And in verse 1, I'm going to go back, and David called out Jehovah Sitkenu, the Lord our righteousness. We have to trust in his righteousness, not our own. We become righteous. Our sacrifices become righteous through obedience to him. The only way our sacrifices can be righteous is when he makes them righteous in his purpose. Put your trust in your own righteousness? Our self-righteousness will fail and be flawed. The perfect righteousness of God is needed, and that can only be found in putting our trust and faith in him and being made righteous through his son. And David says that people are asking, like, who's going to show us what good looks like? Who's going to model perfection for us? Who will show us how to live our lives? Who, who's going to show us how to find fulfillment? Do, 
because I think it's out there somewhere. You can't buy a self-help book to find fulfillment as you, I don't know, tap into the power within you. You need the get help book called the Bible. And where out there are you looking? What, I'm going to date myself here, what episode of the X-Files are you in? The truth isn't out there. What does good look like? Listen, good looks like God who came down in the form of a man and made himself a servant to us. Good looks like the same God man being obedient to his father who was also his equal and died a horrible death that he didn't have to die just for you and I. You want to know what good looks like? Look no further than the cross. And as you look there, you'll be bathed in the light of the presence of the only God who cares enough about you to give himself to make you righteous. To make a way when you didn't deserve it. Because I know I didn't deserve it. I'd turned my back on him. I was living my life however I wanted to. I was making a mess of my family, and if my kids were looking to me to show them something good, which I, I should have been modeling for them, they, they weren't seeing anything to call good. I had to come to a point where I said, Lord, turn the light of your grace upon me. Lord, restore in me a desire to do your will. And when I was ready to look to his goodness, when I was ready to ask to be seen in his light, when I was ready to be drawn near to my father, thou hast put gladness in my heart. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Hallelujah, I'm free. Listen, you just don't know happiness until the Lord has put gladness in your heart. Pursue it if you will, and believe me, you will, but there is no happiness to be had in filling your earthly storehouses with riches that fade or are consumed. Listen, the proverbial corn and wine of overflowing provision and artificial merriment are only as good as the food holds and the wine flows. Eventually, the food runs out, the cask is dry, and then what? What's going to feed your hungry soul when all the empty promises of a world's fulfillment and plastic happiness has run its course and you don't have anything saved up for a rainy day? My God is the God in the sunshine and the rain because he made both. And while I need earthly things to live, I don't live for earthly things, and therefore my happiness is not dependent on those things. Christian, our rejoicing is only dependent on whether or not our God is good, and he is always good. So rejoice. Rejoice evermore. Am I in this trial? Yes, but I'm not alone. Rejoice. Have I sinned? Yes. But God is greater than my sin, and his forgiveness is sure. Rejoice. 
Can God bring me through this struggle? He's brought me through everything else. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. You want some gladness in your heart? Look back at how unworthy you were and realize he still loved you. And when we recognize afresh how unworthy we were and are, we get reminded of his goodness. And the more we're reminded of his goodness, the more we realize how unworthy we are. But then that just reminds us even more of his goodness. And then that shows us how much we need his love because of how pitiful we are. Do you see where I'm going here? Where David finds his gladness? God's goodness and our lack thereof is an infinite loop of recognition that constantly points back to he is good and that makes us glad. Doesn't that realization bring peace? You don't have to try to do it on your own. And you couldn't anyway. And while knowing that should keep us up, his goodness brings peace. So we sleep. We don't just lay down and relax. Resting in the peace that God has accomplished what we couldn't in all of his goodness, we can let go of the day. Preaching to our heart every promise he has made and every promise he has kept to us, well, that just shows us how good he is. And we can close our eyes in the peaceful realization that God alone is in control. And if we would only submit to him and his mercy and grace, tomorrow will but reveal new mercies we didn't know existed. And if that's not enough to make you safe and secure in the arms of a Lord who wants nothing but good things for you, then what is? When we're standing in a shadow, do we ever bother to look up? We may find in looking up that the shadow is the shadow of God's arms safely protecting us from whatever is trying to do us harm. To rest in God is to rest in true safety. For, listen, while this body will wither and die, it can get mangled and it can get broken. We are but fragile things. Our soul is secure in him and our eternity is safe in the Father's hands. We're not shielded in temporary safety. We dwell in safety. In the light of his presence and the goodness of his strength to preserve us, safety is our home. Safety is our default position. It's not a go run to him and find him for safety type of situation. It's a hand on our shoulder in the situation saying, you're mine. You're safe. Let me handle this. The safety of an omnipresent God means he's not an earshot away. He's ever-present all the time. On the mountaintop, in the valley. He'll never leave. And how much safer could we be? Remember that he's been faithful before, and he'll be faithful again and again. 
distress is just another opportunity for him to prove he is who he says he is. And on that, rest assured, he will always deliver. Thanks for walking with me a little while as we read the word together. I, I can't believe we're going to be in Psalm 5 already next time. We've been almost a month together on this journey already. I can't wait to get together again with God's word between us. <laughs> <laughs>